welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who always turn the other cheek when cleaning up tenants. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, welcome to Wood Talk number 429 for April 2nd, 2018. On today's show, we're talking about is cheaper walnut worth it? Glue squeeze out, curved veneer panels, and a little bit of finishing talk. And we'd also like to thank a few folks who helped us out with contributions over at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash woodtalk if you want to do so as well. Uh, Nathan Stein and Jason Tesher. Thank you very much, guys, for helping us out. And again, patreon.com slash woodtalk is where you can go. Uh, We've got some bonus things up there. You can get uh, priority. We'll call it priority service for your questions. Uh, Your questions are more likely to end up on the show there. It's good stuff. I think it's Can't a great guarantee green. anything, but you know, you never know. You never know because we are very good at, at uh, going back on our promises. Uh, let's see what else we have going on. Um, I guess that's really it. No sponsor of this show, so let's get to what is on the bench. I'll go first because my name's first on the list. Uh, I, I made a table, guys, in five days. It's kind of a record for me. <laughs> have you ever made a table in five days? That's since I started filming projects. <laughs> that really does change it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Where did you get those pegs? Were they already like to size or did you just buy a long rod of stainless steel or something? I just bought a rod from Home Depot and cut them up and uh, kind of chamfered and clean up the edges so that I could shove them in a hole where no one will ever see them. <laughs> I was really hoping for some sort of story about like a medical supply house and you know, you took surgical pins from some drawer that right. was destined to go in the knee of, you know, some NBA athlete. Or yeah, nothing nearly as exciting as that. Uh, unfortunately, <clears throat> it was just a, a steel rod from Home Depot, cut it into like little two, two and a quarter inch long pieces, chamfered the edges, cleaned them up and shoved them suckers in the holes. Uh, so this exploded table was kind of interesting. I, I, I started out with this concept and it w- I mean, Shannon, you even mentioned the fact like as I was going along constructing the leg to an apron, a uh, few people, including Shannon, said, hey, this kind of looks like an exploded drawing, like in a diagram, uh, in a project plan. So that actually gave me inspiration for how to solve some other design issues that came later, like what to do with the top and things like that. So I figured the, the, it would be cool to design this table where it looks like every place where you would normally have wood glue you know, to join these things together, let's separate those pieces and join them with steel rods so that you kind of just have this totally exploded view. I don't know how sturdy it's going to be, but let's try it and see what happens. Uh, so that's, that's where it all came from, where it went. And from basically from conception to adding the the first coat of finish was a five day process. So I'll tell you building with plans and this was filming it too. Uh, which as we know, slows us down, but trying to build with plans or build, uh, let's say something that's reproducible for other people is something that really, really slows things down. Um, I felt like I was on vacation with this one. It was pretty nice. <laughs> it looked like fun in that sense. I thought you were going to say it looked like you were on vacation. It looked <laughs> like, like you were on vacation. Judging by the anything. results, you look like hand planes on the ground. Oh yeah. That was a whole nother <laughs> yeah, thing, right. right? I did get my replacement handle though. So I'll tell you, Lee Nielsen, what a, what a great company. I broke my plane because I'm an idiot and I dropped it <laughs> because I was, I was goofing off taking stupid pictures of myself to make a joke and I dropped it and uh, it landed on the handle. And then like a week later, I've got a brand new handle. And this isn't just because like I called up and said, uh, hello, I'm Mark from the wood whisper. Uh, I just called up and said, Hey, just I got like that. That's, that's exactly, exactly what, right. that's exactly what I do usually. <laughs> Uh, but I was like, no, I, I she goes, oh, how did it break? And I said, well, I was just being an idiot. And uh, she goes, okay, well, we'll send a, a courtesy uh, handle out. And Matt, you had a similar issue, only not your fault. 
Uh, yeah, it arrived broken. Yeah. <laughs> so it arrived broken, and you got yours like what? Just a couple days later. I think it was four days, including a weekend in there. Okay. So I called them on Thursday, and I had it on so Tuesday. No, four yeah, days math is hard. Weekend. What is that? <laughs> it includes the weekend. Four days, which includes the weekend. So four days, not four business days. Four days. Gotcha. Normal okay. people days. Yeah. Normal so days. I mean, obviously, <laughs> right. <laughs> obviously they're going to replace Matt's, but they certainly did not have to replace mine. And I called fully, you know, intending on spending, you know, 15, 20 bucks or whatever a new handle would cost. Uh, and they sent me one. That's pretty darn cool. I have to say, like, I absolutely hate calling places and like asking for things or just calling people and talking on the floor in general. That was like one of the best conversations I've had in like ever. Mm-hmm. It was super quick and like they were apologetic. And there was like two minutes on the phone, literally yeah. two minutes. One minute, 58 seconds or something like that. I was off the phone. Yeah. Good customer service is, um, it's, it's a big thing. It's a good thing because it doesn't happen that often anymore, which is the problem. <laughs> like a company no. actually giving a crap. That's probably why I don't like calling places. Yeah. yeah <laughs> That's <right>. the stigma. <laughs> so, so like as an aside with this handle thing, the funniest response with this, like I posted a picture oh, yeah. of it and how I broke I got, it. I got the same ones too. Did That's you? That's the best part. About yeah. Oh Yeah. So, okay. So then we're uh, to to let you guys know what happened. You post these pictures of like, uh, for me, I posted the repaired version of it and I was just using that to get through my project. And then, you know, I had the new one on the way. And even though this was a freebie, the replacement was totally free. You wouldn't believe how many people were kind of looking down on, on me and, and apparently Matt too, for not just building one and making one. It's like, aren't you a woodworker? And it's like, yeah, and I'm <laughs> building furniture and not stupid tool handles. Like I've got ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Like we've got better things to do with our time. There's come off a of CNC. Come on. I can't compete with that. No, it's perfect. All the time. Yeah. It's I, perfectly I drilled. It fits my hand Matt perfectly. Got the same issue though. What's that? <laughs> Matt paid money for a plane that arrived damaged. Yeah. Aren't you a woodworker? Well, yeah, but I'm also a consumer. Yeah, I, I just bought something. I, product. I did not get it as bad as Mark, but I still got the comments. So I thought it was hilarious. Well, and it's the same thing when someone, you know, I actually got a little bit of crap with the miter saw incident uh, with the new Makita that I tried out and sent back. And people are like, all you have to do is take this thing off, wedge a two by four in there, step on it, push, and I'm like, "Yeah, this is what I should be doing with a brand new tool." Like, I, who does I that? I honestly hope that was the suggestion. Oh no! Well, no. people people suggested that I fix it myself, and then the fix, quote unquote, that came out was someone who took this cap off the front and then wedged a two by four between the two bars that the head rides on. And, you know, if you push it this way and, it, and the problem gets worse, just make sure you, you know, wedge it the other way. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> like wow. that sounds like a great plan. Let's do that. Like, because I don't know. You spent, well, it's like, what, five, six hundred dollars for the saw? Yeah. It's like, it's not like a cheap one either. It's like, you shouldn't have to worry about that. Yeah, it's it's the it's the principle. It's not whether or not I could fix it. Yes, obviously, Matt, you right. could have made a new handle, but it was a brand new plane. Why should it's you? Debatable. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, but why why should you have to? Especially if you can get you know the recourse is a free replacement of something. It, it makes no sense. People are weird. Is that just indicative of bad customer service? Like, I mean, Lee Nielsen is definitely the exception to the rule. I guess have people tried calling, I don't know, Bosch or Jet or any of the big tool companies and been told no? I mean, I would be shocked if I that think were the case. Like, I think if maybe, I bought a tool, 
No, no, I think you're right. It, it, I, I think people may have some of those bad experiences or maybe they just, they just assume that there's going to be a bad experience. But uh, I think it's actually a product of maybe the negative side of the maker community in a oh, sense. God, where, I think I say the millennials. Yeah, well, that too. I mean, aren't they really at fault for the maker community just as a whole? Oh, <laughs> like, whether know, it's good or I bad, you, with that. if you want to take credit, you better take the blame too. Uh, but like, seriously, the mentality that I could fix anything, right? Why bother calling someone if I could fix it? But that stops as soon as it's free. (laughs) Like if I don't have to pay any money, then I'm totally going to call someone else. Uh, even if I could fix it myself, it's weird. I don't know. So anyway, I made an exploded table. We got a little sidetrack there. Um, that we're talking about, I guess so. And, uh, that's it for me, Matt. What do you got going on? Uh, I'm making tables as well. Non-exploded, making- I assume. Oh, not yet. Definitely not yet. <laughs> That's going to be a trend, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting on, down with the uh, towards the end here of the, what do we call this one? Live Edge Waterfall River Table Build thing. Yeah, as many Fancy. possible keywords as we could stuff in there. Yes, that one. We're getting, I'm getting to the Maybe end here. <laughs> Including pants, yes. Uh, so I'm doing the, I did the, I guess the initial table, like the simple waterfall table, just a uh, waterfall slab type of thing. And now I'm doing two variations on a river within a waterfall table. So I'm doing an epoxy fill as well as a glass inlay. Hmm. So I have those two going on right now. I'm also doing uh, steel bases on those to do something different than uh, the wood base on the other one. But but they're the same exact design, Mm -hmm. same shape, (laughs) but different materials. Nice. Just to have fun with that. So I got to weld a little bit yesterday, which was, that was nice. I haven't done that for, oh, I don't know. When I, the last time I welded, I was making the lower case of a high boy. So nice. last summer sometime. Yeah. That's cool. Which feels, feels pretty good. And you get the esteemed and, uh, honor of being the first uh, person to do any welding in the guild. <laughs> there you go. Oh, wow. Because I sure as hell haven't done it. <laughs> how many more records can I have? Let's see. Uh, I don't know. Keep going. I enjoy, oh, I enjoy watching these. <laughs> I keep going with that. So the thing I'm doing right now is I'm messing around with the epoxy fills. Um, I'm trying trying out these um, metallic, whatever like metallic pigments or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I did one pour uh, just to see what that looked like, and I don't think it has enough in it. Like it just looks like it's tinted. It doesn't look like there's any metallic thing going on in there. There's no, I don't know, weird stuff going on with the light. Right. This looks like blue epoxy. Interesting. Not metallic epoxy. So I'm doing another uh, test with like three times as much. I'm also doing another one with um, a blue metallic mixed with a turquoise metallic. Mm-hmm. A little bit of that to mess around with that a little bit. And um, so these are with eco epoxy. They're liquid plastic. So I was trying that out as well. I've never tried that either. And there's so much like weird information on the internet about it because it's like it's one of these products like went super viral, but no one really like. I don't know, has any good information about it other than here's a bunch of like awesome videos of it being poured and it kind of ends there. Well, that's, that's just a the... bunch of jars of it on shelves in people's <laughs> shops. In other words, oh, I'm going to do that one day. Yeah. As long as you get your poor picture though, you're fine. That's, that's yeah, where the money that's, is. That's definitely where it's at. So I'm kind of, I, I cannot personally, I just can't believe things on the internet, especially if they have a very subjective, um, explanation to them or I don't know, subjective result. Like, um, one of the things with the epoxy liquid plastic, a lot of people said that it doesn't cure as hard, so you can't polish it. Doesn't cure as hard is very subjective. 
doesn't tell me how hard it is. <laughs> right. So, and then they have this, a lot of people also say that you got to mix the ratios differently than what's on the box to get a harder mix, which makes zero sense to me because the mix they're suggesting is to use more resin and less hardener, and that makes it cure harder. So okay. at least the way that epoxy works in my mind with the chemical reaction, in that instance, there would be unreacted resin. And it would be softer? But anyway, I'm trying that out as well. Yeah. I don't know. Now you're just making stuff up. I, that's what I was saying. I'm like, this cannot be true. <laughs> just try it and see what happens. <laughs> this cannot be true. Yeah. So I got that going on as well. So I have the first test that's been carrying for four days. And that's just the mixed one-to-one right off the box. And it's like the best way I could describe this is it's like rubber. The consistency is like rubber. Really? So hmm. although it is firm-ish, it's hard, but you can squish it. And the river that I did is a two, you know, two live-edge slabs with the whole gap in the middle. Mm-hmm. I could fold this in half if I wanted to. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so weird. you could just you could just bend it and flex it all over the place. So um, I did another one at one to one as well, just to see like maybe I screwed up the mix somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that would be possible, but see if I get the same results. And we'll see. But if this is what people say soft is, then yeah, that's like on the other end of soft. Like I'm thinking like it's not as hard, like so you can't polish it as well. Okay, cool. If I'm not gonna polish it or whatever, it doesn't make a difference. But if it's like rubber Yeah, usually when you're thinking different. in the range of resins and stuff, when we think of soft <laughs> and hard, we think of can I dent it with my fingernail? You know, we yeah. don't think in terms of like, is it now I, actually foldable? <laughs> I could push my finger through this if I wanted to, and it would just kind of pop back up into place after a while. But it's like hard rubber is the best way to describe the way it's curing right now, which also makes me wonder, like, is this actually the result that it should be? Because it's a casting resin. I can't imagine anyone wanting to cast anything in like something this soft. Yeah. I wonder if that accounts for the lack of metallic sheen, too maybe like if there's too much tint or something or too much i guess the the resin <clears throat> i don't know because well i mean i guess you can have like a metallic rubber maybe i don't know yes. i can't picture that seems to me in order to have a little bit of that sheen you need to have a hard kind of almost glossy surface to be able to like reflect the light through the material right yeah yeah i know what you also, mean i've got more samples i I finally found a use for all those little tiny baby slabs that I cut on my bandsaw like six years ago that I've just been sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> nice. Matt's so, going to have a whole set of waterfall coasters <laughs> to go on his waterfall table. This is back in the day where it's like, oh, I can cut logs on my bandsaw in my shop and make little tiny slabs. And like, right. I cut like everything possible. I would like. I'm surprised you still have that stuff, considering how often you clean out the wood. And, like, oh, this is away. stuff in the, that's like the little stuff I have in, like on a shelf in the house. <laughs> where it belongs, so, of course. Where it belongs, yeah. yeah. Uh, you got a problem, man. You, yeah, you problem. need to like launch a new line of uh, river end tables. But yeah. I'm not sure I'm going to do with these things afterwards, but at least I'll have... <laughs> see, this is why Guild Projects take so long, because I'm over here doing all the experimentation for people. Yeah. And I really think you props. need to make you need to make waterfall cutting boards so you can knock Mark off his uh, Dude, cutting I'm board not, king. I am not going to take. I'm not taking that because I don't want to deal with the is epoxy food safe people. Yep, yeah. I ain't doing it. You, if you, you, you have this like it. six inch river of epoxy there. You got to wonder, <laughs> like people are going to be like, is that safe? 
Matt'll say, "Well, if it's I don't rubbery, know. it's really good for your knives." Actually, yeah. it probably would be. It'll bounce it's back. Just fine. And Matt's answer will be, "It hasn't killed me yet, so <laughs> still, I haven't died yet." So there we go. <laughs> there, there's your evidence. It's fine. Uh, now, That's awesome. So I have these examples, and I'm also doing one with a uh, West system to see what that kind of turns out like. Nice. And the nice thing about that is that'll cure in a day, as opposed to this was yeah. take four days. Interesting. Wow. This whole epoxy thing, man. Epoxy, it's a it's a thing. It's a big thing. You know, I think in our next show, I believe we have a question from someone asking, what are the most annoying woodworking fads that, that you've seen <laughs> either current or in the past? And and I'll tell you what, this epoxy stuff just might be one, one of them. <clears throat> Waterfall tables. I mean, uh, yeah, the, the, I'm not talking about like resin casting and stuff like the stuff Pete Brown does. And uh, uh, my buddy Zach over NV woodworks. I think those are fun things and making, you know, things like that, but it's clearly a fad, you know, what's happening with the river table thing and, and everybody jumping in the epoxy bandwagon. It's uh, I'm not saying it's annoying. I'm just saying it's a potential thing to discuss in that topic. We'll talk about it. I have some thoughts. We'll see. Well, now <laughs> that you've, boats. now that you've got your hands dirty with the stuff, we'll see. Now that they're stuck in. I wore gloves. The epoxy the first time ever with working with epoxy. Do Thank you wear you very a, re- much. do you wear a respirator? This stuff is eco-friendly. Of course it is, because the bottle said so. You know what? I actually, <laughs> you can eat it. This, Just spit it out before it cures. The 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 epoxies and the resins that I've worked with that are like labeled as you know healthy or whatever, mm-hmm. I cannot stand the smell of them. Like they they have this weird smell. I just don't like. Yeah, they're definitely not prefer, smell free. <laughs> yeah. I prefer my solvents because yeah. I enjoy those smells a lot more than whatever's in this stuff. You also get high I a think lot usually faster. Usually soy so. based. I know that's what they did with plywood. In order to make plywood eco friendly, they got rid of the formaldehyde and now they use soy based glue. So I wonder if it's the same. And it's, thing. I think soy doesn't it, smell too good. It smells like something from my childhood, like some kind of arts and crafts thing, but I can't remember what it is. Yeah. <laughs> You ate, a, you ate a lot of paste. I was going to say you ate so much of it, it rotted part of your brain. So it was so good. You know, it's all we could we could afford when I was young. You know, I started. <laughs> That's why Matt's so small. He just didn't get the calories he needed when he was younger. <laughs> they, they kept stealing my lunch every day, so I had to go in the corner and drink that some sounds, blue calories. Eat your paste. Sounds like a class action suit. Paste stunted my growth. <laughs> You'll get a lot of money out of the public school system. Let me tell That's you. Why it's so hairy and so short? You know. <laughs> yeah, that's great all right shannon what do you got going on um well you guys remember i was working on a veneer hammer a while ago i did finally get to put it to use um i'm about to build a crap a table what is it with the wood talk table all tables yeah, all it's the a thing we're doing it um but i'm going to be veneering some shops on bird's eye maple which Ooh. which was in and of itself kind of a pain in the butt. Um, because when it gets so thin, mm-hmm. those little bird's eyes just want to pop out. <laughs> it's uh, like, yeah, a little so baby I'm knots. To, uh, Maybe I'm if kinda, you coat it in resin first. Yep. Cast it in resin. That'll solve everything. There we go. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, continue. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just playing with like, um, th- thickening, thickening up the veneer a little bit so that the bird's eyes don't pop out. But then can I really do, you know, how thick can it be and still do good hammer veneering? And so far it, it, it's pretty good. It's just the problem is the thicker it gets, the, you know, the less pliable it is. So mm-hmm. just using the hammer like a squeegee to press it down and everything gets a little bit difficult because the veneer itself wants to, well, it wants to cup, um, you know, so I, I'm probably going to get some veneer conditioner and try to play around with it a little bit more, but it's fun. 
It's basically kind of like what Matt's got. I've got a small piece of bird's eye maple. I've got the bird's eye that I'm using for the actual table, Mm -hmm. um, but I've got a small piece of it and I've just sliced it up into a bunch of little veneers. So I'm just making like little veneered, like eight by 10 squares left and right. So I'm going to end up with a nice set of coasters myself. Sounds fun. All right. So let's move into what's new. Uh, This is something that I, I just saw it on Facebook a number of times, but we specifically have an email here from Danny breaking the news for us of something very cool. So the new Yankee workshop is going to be on thisoldhouse.com. So Danny says, hi, fellows. Great news. According to my This Old House Insider subscription, all 21 seasons of the new Yankee workshop are going to be available through This Old House with plans available for purchase. But wait, there's more. If you're a subscriber to This Old House Insider, he says it's about 81 bucks a year. Not only will you have access to all of those uh, videos as well as This Old House videos, old stuff, you'll also be able to download Norm's plans for free. That's kind of crazy. So he says, that's right, I said free. Measure drawings. Measure drawings, that's right. Uh, So he says, play it cool, guys. Look away, don't stare. I swear I did a spit take uh, of my coffee this morning when I read that and thought that you guys would like to know love the show. Please don't quit. So that's pretty cool. And I, I feel like not, you know, not that anyone's desperate for money in that camp. I don't know their stories, but don't, don't you feel like there was a lot of money left on the table with, with regard to how the new Yankee workshop was handled post the show. The stopping lack, the lack of merchandising, <clears throat> like the lack yeah. of anything. New, All they no had new Yankee workshop, lunch boxes or flamethrowers. Yeah, yeah exactly. No coloring books. Definitely feels kind of like the old, feels kind of like, you know, old school way of content distribution still afterwards, even though it ended in, what year did it end in? Like 2010? No, it was quite a while ago. So, but I, I also just saw a rumor that it might be coming back. And this is like way rumor. Like it was posted on Facebook. So how, how trustworthy is it? But like, I even saw a comment from Freddie Roman that seemed like he knew something, but wasn't, Mm -hmm talking about it. So I'm just wondering, is this in advance of the return of the new Yankee workshop? I believe it when I see it. Yeah. Right. But yeah. The, the thing is up till now, uh, they have been selling the content VHS, DVD, whatever, who knows, uh, on the new Yankee workshop website. And then they would, um, think every week they would put up a new episode, like a classic episode. And then you could buy the plan and was discounted. And if you wanted all of the content, the only way to get it was on DVD <laughs> And it was like thousands of dollars. Set. Yeah. Like the, three grand. Yeah. It was insane. And even right now I'm looking, they've got a kitchen project and it's a three DVD set. That's $50 and it's a hundred dollar value. And of course you get the plans with that. It's, it's a really nice presentation, but I feel like there was, there, there was something between this astronomically priced thing and free where someone could have been making a crap ton of money instead of, letting YouTube and, and all these people on YouTube upload this stuff for free and people can watch it there. So I don't know. It just feels like such a, I guess the marketer in me is looking at this going, what a giant lost opportunity that that, that was. That yeah. said, I'm like really glad to like see him available. Access to a streaming library or something like that. Something. Something. Maybe they were just so tired of it. Like, oh, I don't want to even think about it anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I just, but anyway, so this stuff is available for streaming. Uh, I don't know how much they can upconvert to get the quality up, but they already have some episodes, not for this effort, but for like something else. They've got some new Yankee episodes on thisoldhouse.com. The quality is not that great. 
So I, I don't know if they're going to be able to, to make the episodes look a little bit better. I mean, I know it's only going to get so good because of the format that it was filmed in. Um, but it just, I, I hope it's a little higher quality than what I'm seeing there now. Cause it was a little bit, yeah, not so great. What I'm interested in is I feel like plans themselves, um, through people distributing them on YouTube and, and, uh, a lot of new people coming into woodworking, which is always very exciting, but I feel like plans have become more detailed in the last decade or so. Yeah. More than I have a couple drawing. of norms drawings and there is a lot left to guess on there. <laughs> Like, you know, in, in many instances, if there was a curve or something in it, it's the little grid, like, you know, blow this up or one cube equals one inch type thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have a little grid so you can figure out how to do the, the, the pattern. Um, but I actually know a lot of people who that is foreign to them as well, because we have the ability to create, you know, full size templates and print them out or blow them up or whatever. The, the technique of using the grid and blowing mm-hmm. that up is actually a bit, I don't want to say obsolete because it's not it's, it's just it's not talked about anymore it's kind of it's antiquated lost. at this point so it's a lost and then, skill and then there's there's no written instructions whatsoever they're literally just measure drawings i think that's why they call them measure drawings and not plans yeah so i i actually wonder if if now this becomes available and a lot of people are like oh i've heard all about this i'm gonna go buy it there might be some dissatisfaction because the quality of those plans is not nearly as comprehensive as what you're seeing coming out these days. No, they're going to be going, where to F's the SketchUp model? Suckers. How do I, you know, and, and I think as, as a, as a new, new woodworker, I might not know what to do with that measure drawing. Well, a drawing. Yeah. I mean, watch the video. Yeah. And that's the thing. The videos were really compressed and condensed. Uh, and it wasn't until that's the one thing the new Yankee workshop did really well. Uh, if you look at other PBS style woodworking shows. Some of them are better than others at making you not realize how much information was actually left out. Uh, some of them make it pretty obvious, but that's one thing they were, I felt they were masters of that until you sat down to build this thing, you didn't realize what was missing from that 20 minute, 22 minute show, you know? And, but, but then once you do and you're like, well, crap, where do I get this detail? Well, you get the measurements, but there still might be things missing because I mean, they only had so much time to work on a single project. Well, anyway, bottom line is this is good news. Uh, and hopefully all those, uh, you know, bottom feeders on YouTube that were uploading new Yankee episodes will no longer, uh, have a need to be there. And, uh, at least the people who deserve to, to get the traffic, and the streaming traffic and whatever advertising they're going to get for this will get the proper revenue that they deserve for their content. So I think it's a good thing. Okay, Matt, I think you got the next one. Boom. This is sent in by Andrew. This is uh, some pictures of some models of some tiny little staircases. Teeny oh, this is cool. Yeah. They are ridiculous. So <laughs> like looking at these things, like I know how much harder it is to make miniatures. This looks like, I would prefer to make a full-size staircase. <laughs> did, did you see the note about the scale, though? I mean, how, how big would you say that is? When you look at one of those images, how tall would you say it is? Maybe a foot. They're like inches. Like, there's a, there's a line in the article where it talks about most of them are one to two inches tall. That's crazy. So I don't know how, if that's all of them, because those images look, I would agree. I'd say, though, that's like, a, you know, a foot tall, 18 inches tall. But... Well, the first one in the article, article, the first one is 20 and a half inches high. So that one's substantial. Um, Substantial. There's a 20 inch high. Right now is 20 inch high staircase. Okay. Either way. Never mind then. (laughs) 
it doesn't matter. It's amazing. <laughs> One oh, yeah. way or the other, it's I'm, flipping amazing. I'm looking at a two-story staircase that is 29 inches tall. Mm-hmm. And it's like a double curve thing. Both of them are curved together up to the, yeah, with like a land. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I can't just go look at the picture. They're great. Here, here's one that's 12 inches and it's a full spiral that actually makes more than a full 360 degree turn. It's like it goes another half turn. I mean, and it's only like uh, 12, 12 and a half inches, 12 and a quarter inches tall. It's crazy. <laughs> I like these guys. I read this article and said, okay, where is this Cooper Hewitt museum? Oh, New York city. I'm there. I'm going to, I got to go see this. looks awesome. Yeah. Well, I, what I like here is it says perfect, perfect staircases made by a secret society of French woodworkers. I want to be part of a secret society (laughs) of French woodworkers. (laughs) Not going to happen though. Just don't have the accent. All right. uh, Let's get to our kickback. I think Matt, I uh, gave you the first one here. Oh, two in a row. Yep. We want you to talk, baby. I'm still reeling. Yeah, take a deep breath and just do it. Oh, that's a long one, too. All right, this is from Rick. This is uh, March 19th show. I don't know what that was about. First, I love the show. <laughs> My kickback is on thermal wood. I have built many outdoor projects out there. Oh, wow. See, I told you I shouldn't be reading this stuff. I have built many outdoor projects out of the thermally modified poplar chairs, tables, planter boxes. I have also built two decks out of the EcoVantage pine decking. I have never noticed any adverse effects on my blades. I'm currently working on a toolbox and a flat covered, a flat cover for my bed. Wow, my truck bed. A flat cover for my truck bed. That's just a tongue twister for no reason. <laughs> the only issue is finishing it. <laughs> now that it is... Uh, hard to find a true oil-based uh, product to protect. I'm toying with the. You, why are you guys making read this stuff? I'm toying with the with using. I'm toying with the idea of using Epiphane's varnish for the truck cover project, but man, it's expensive. Uh, thanks for finally talking about the thermally modified wood. Keep up the great work. By the way, Shannon, if you want to feel normal height, I'll stop by with my son, six foot nine. You can stand between us. Uh, he's six foot ten. And for that matter, my daughters would be would do uh, six foot three and six foot four. Holy Tall moly! Keep up the good work. Once I start to sell my thermally modified products, I will donate to the show. For now, I'm a freeloader, but I love the show. I, I think Shannon would feel short around those people. Yes, six six ten. Yeah, that's, I'm the same height as his daughter. That's crazy, <laughs> man. Well, good for them. Wow. It's neat to look, to be tall. You just look down on everyone. Yeah. See, here's somebody who liked the lumber update. He probably wanted it to be five minutes longer. That's true. Well, you can send him a personal email. the whole email. show. Here we go. And a spinoff. Start a new podcast. We got a spinoff opportunity. Spin off. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. And just, you know, I, I assume. There's going to be a, a battle about who gets the rights to the theme song, though. It's going to get really ugly. Oh, there would be no battle. That would be me. You just have to send me, <laughs> send me like 5% of all proceeds and we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think Shannon, you get the next one. I'm going to change the word slightly and use the same melody. Just maybe change it. <laughs> exactly. A, do a minor key. You'll get another doo-wop crew to uh, to make it for you. Yeah. So this is from Jason. He says, in regards to Laguna ceramic guides being the greatest thing since whatever, <clears throat> I love how well mine work. However, I hate setting up my guides. Major pain in the you know what. 
I really like what I've seen for the Carter guides, but I've tried contacting them regarding a product for my Laguna 14BX, and I have not been able to get a response. Oh. 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 Stupid Laguna. Why you got to be that Very way? <laughs> I think it's stupid Carter. Oh, Carter. Well, you got to do me like that. Trying to contact Carter <laughs> Just assumed it was Laguna. <laughs> stupid Laguna, too. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Okay, so we got a voicemail here from uh, Jason with some questions about finishing. Hey guys, this is Jason Christensen in Apple Valley, Minnesota, and I have two related finishing questions for you. With my current project, I need to have some pretty vibrant color, so I'm going to use Transtint dye. But I also need to have different colors right next to each other. So what I plan to do is apply dye to those pieces before I glue them up. What I'm wondering is... If I end up getting the dye on the mating surfaces, do you guys think that it will interfere with the glue bond of that joint? The other question is in regards to the top coat. Again, with having very vibrant colors, I'm concerned about the ambering effect that I would get with an oil-based finish, such as um, Armor Seal. So I am considering using um, a waterborne finish like high performance, but I love the effect that you get on the grain with an oil-based finish, especially since there's still going to be some areas of the project that don't get the dye treatment. Do you think that if I used a really light shellac, like super blonde shellac, would I still get some of that effect on the grain that I'm looking for to mimic an oil-based finish? And then I would cover that with the waterborne finish. Anyway, thank you very much. And I'm glad you didn't quit. So are we, but we still might. You never know. Okay. Who wants to tackle the dye question? Two part question here. So, uh, getting dye on a glue surface. I don't think that would be a problem. I mean, assuming we're just using like, Oh, you know, mix up your dye. Like if I use trans tan, I just add it to water or, Sometimes I'll add it to um, to the finish itself, but I think if you're adding it, um, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Whatever, dissolving it, diluting it—that's the word I'm looking for. Jeez, <laughs> you know, you're putting it in a water-based solution. Then all I mean, all dye is just dirt. It's just pigment. So you're just putting pitting the pigment on the surface. The water evaporates off, and all you're left with is finely, very finely ground particles of schmutz <clears throat> on the wood. So. I think you should be fine. I don't. I think it's the the varnish and the resins and stuff in our finish that would cause the glue problems. Yeah, I think the only real problem that might develop is if he's using maybe something like General Finishes dye. Their water based mm-hmm. dye does have a little bit of finish in there to help it bind to the surface, which is good in, in many cases. Uh, but if you get that on a glue joint area. I'm not saying it's going to be a problem, but theoretically you're going down that path because it does I actually think it'd be better if he mixed his own, like bought a, a Lockwood dye, yeah. like the, they sell it at tools for working wood that comes, it's powder, you know, and you mix it up yourself or the transtent stuff, which is liquid and you, you know, add it in because yeah. then you can, you can play with the, you know, the, the color as well. Right. I think that just to be safe, cause you know, what I'm putting in it now. Yeah. But if you're being careful about it, Jason, and, and you, you are using the general finishes stuff, if a little bit gets on there, it's probably not going to be that big of a deal uh, because, you know, you could still do multiple coats of dye and it still pulls it into the surface, you know, so it's, it shouldn't be too problematic. Uh, but what about this? As long second? as 17.3% of the joint is not covered in dye, you're fine. Exactly. 
he did the math on that one. So, um, <laughs> Matt, what do you think about the the second part of the question? Could could shellac suffice? Like a super blonde shellac suffice as something to put over that dye to give him a little bit of that uh, oil chatoyance, if you will. Um, I don't know, maybe a little bit. I haven't used shellac a whole lot. Yeah, especially the the blonde. Most of the times I've used shellac, which is pretty limited, it's always been amber, so I get sort of that same, you know, warming effect that you would with an oil. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think he's going to have I'm to try not- it because here's the other thing: what what he's looking for may not be the same thing that we would think of. You know what I mean? Like what, what he thinks right. of as what an oil brings to the surface may not be exactly the same as what we would talk about. So um, it's not too hard to try a couple samples and see if you like it. It, it could I mean, work. I think, I think a shellac wash coat is a good idea anyway sure. to fix the pigment. Otherwise you could run the risk of actually reactivating the dye and like moving it around. Yeah. Because he's going with, he's going with water-based. So, right. So yeah, yeah. And now suddenly you've, you're, Oh, my dye looks smudged. Well, that's because you just did, you know, maybe if you're spraying, you might be okay. But if it's like a vertical surface, there's every chance that the dye could even run a little bit. Mm-hmm. So most people will put some sort of binder seal coat, usually shellac, which is, which by the way, that's why they call it seal coat. The stuff you buy at home Depot, it's used to seal in stuff. Yeah. There you go. Okay, that's it for our voicemails. Uh, if you want to send us a voicemail, just use the voice memo app on your little telephone smartphone thing and send it to woodtalkonline at gmail.com. We'll play it on the show. So we have a lumber update for Shannon. Should I go get a sandwich during this one or maybe just a small <laughs> snack? Okay, I got the stopwatch out. I'm going for it. Okay, here we go. Shannon's lumber. I love that smooth lumber update. Let it soak in. So this comes out of a couple of questions that I've gotten in my email and several phone calls I got at the lumber yard this week. Walnut is popular. Did you guys know that? It's extremely popular. No, Um, walnut is walnut. Poplar is poplar. Oh, oh boy. That was really bad. <laughs> that happened. <laughs> so, and, and what by popular, po- see, and now I'm saying popular. Thanks a lot. <laughs> by popular, I mean uh, it's being used heavily in the commercial sector. I think it's always been popular amongst, you know, the furniture makers and the hobby woodworkers and such. But now the big guys, you know, people ordering truckload quantities of it are starting to use a lot more of it, which has certainly put a supply chain problem in the mix. But The issue, and I've said this before, a lot of times you get what you pay for. And if you're finding a guy that has dramatically cheaper lumber, regardless of species, something's missing. Not necessarily something's wrong, but something has been left. The grade is wrong. It hasn't been, you know, grade isn't the same, I said, Shay. Maybe it's not dried as well, things like that. Walnut, however, is defying that. We're seeing prices all across the board. And the reason for this is walnut's grade is actually not the same as your other North American species. Walnut's grade is actually lower than, say, maple or oak. So um, something that is this first and second FAS requires 83.3% of the wood to be clear of defects. I'm not going to go on all defects and stuff, but um, walnut has actually dropped that. Um, And what they've done is they've reduced the minimum board size. So instead of it saying you need to have a board that's six inches wide by eight feet long and 83% clear, they're reducing that and saying the board can be smaller, can be narrower, can be shorter 
and still 83% clear. But then they start to, to slide the grade a lot more. So if you're buying FAS walnut, it's not the same as FAS maple. And I don't just mean the color. Um, maple is going to be clearer than, than the walnut. But the problem is, is so many people won't accept that. There, there is this general perception in the market that wood is supposed to be perfectly clear. And, of course, it's all wide. It's all long. You know, and the grain is exactly the same from board to board. And in other words, it looks like plastic. Um, so I thermally modified my my composite update that I did the other week. Yeah, that's the problem is there's a lot of these composite products that are giving people a misconception of what wood actually should look like. So people are demanding more, um, more better. They're demanding a better grade of their walnut. So, okay, we're finding it. And my, the lumberyard I work for, we've been able to find a lot for several high-end builders, but we have to charge a heck of a lot more for that because say we buy, you know, the, the orders for 5,000 board feet or say it's a thousand board feet. We need a 5,000 board feet just to get a thousand board feet of that superior quality stuff. And it drives the price up dramatically, but it also leaves you with 4,000 board feet of other stuff that could be really good grade. It could be really bad grade. And it's just kind of the prices all over the place. Well, that may then get resold to somebody else. So there is a, a plethora of grades and prices in Walnut. It's all across the board. So for all those guys that called me this week at the Lumberyard who were like irate because somebody, you know, they know was charging $8.50 a board foot for Walnut. And I found a guy who's charging $2 a board foot for Walnut. You got to look closer, folks. There are there is going, it's probably only going to get worse before it gets better. The prices are going to diverge even more. You just got to ask some questions. Um, most walnut is not a very good grade. Walnut is not a tree. Walnut is, is, is like an open field tree. It wants to branch out very, very quickly. In other words, you get knots very quickly. You don't get these long straight grain sections like you would in a maple tree or an oak tree. Just look at a walnut tree. You'll see it's kind of short and squat and branchy. Maple <laughs> tree is very tall and slender. So that that produces a totally different cut of wood. And because of that, and because it's become so popular, there's so many demands on that species to make it kind of what it's not. Um, and there's, there's, in other words, much, much lower yield coming out of the logs in order to get that much higher grade. And uh, it's just, it's the wild west at this point. So hmm. if you find walnut and it looks pretty and it fits your budget, you probably should just buy it because who knows what it's going to be <laughs> next week. You know, it's probably not even going to be there. So hmm. there you go. Walnut update. Well, hey, getting into our emails. Perfect. Four minutes and 30 seconds. Not too bad. Not too bad. But hey, perfect <laughs> tie-in for the topic of my question from Luke, which is kind oh, of Oh, it's like we planned the notes or something. See? Look if we that. did plan and we were smart, <laughs> this kind of thing would happen more often. <laughs> but it doesn't because we don't. Uh, okay. So Luke wrote in, he says, I have recently been planning some new projects and I was thinking about using Walnut. I haven't pulled the trigger because of the cost of Walnut lumber at the place that I usually buy my lumber. However, there is another gentleman running a resale tool shop who has a lot of Walnut lumber, both four quarter and eight quarter for sale at $4 a board foot, which is less than half of my usual that my usual place charges. However, it isn't quite as good as the more expensive lumber. I know this is why it's cheaper. It does have a lot of uh, good clear wood, excuse me, but also a lot of sapwood and defects. I guess my real question is, is it worth it to buy the cheaper lumber and just deal with the more waste and defects or buy the expensive lumber? And since that's the better quality to begin with. So this is interesting. It's, it's a very personal thing, but going back, you know, tying into what Shannon's talking about, I recently purchased a bunch of walnut for the exploded table 
And just looking at the pile, I mean, and you guys who, who shop for lumber frequently know what I'm talking about. You get that pile and you just go, man, none of this excites me. Like none of it is, is really good. Like all of the boards have something wrong with it that, yeah, I'm paying for the whole board, but I know that whole section is just waste yet. I'm going to pay the bill for it. So I was just not excited about it. And this is more and more typical of what I see. And mind you, this is the $10 a board foot stuff. You know, this is not the stuff that's being, you know, discounted at four bucks a board foot. So I think, you know, like Shannon's saying, we may see more of this kind of thing rather than less. And because it's walnut, some places, knowing, you know, maybe you're a captive audience in a sense, uh, they may not drop the price at all, even though this isn't like big, wide, clear boards. So that's certainly what I dealt with and I did the best I could. Now that said, Here's the cool thing about walnut. Even if it's a little squirrely looking when it's in its rough state and maybe there's a few knots here and there, maybe there's some sapwood. There's probably almost definitely going to be sapwood. Uh, it looks amazing. Which, by the way, is not a defect according to the National Hardwood Lumber Association. Right, so get used to it. Um, it's going to be good. <laughs> yeah, so once I started planing these boards down, I suddenly got a lot happier because the grain, and if you look at the grain on the, uh, on this table, if you uh, go to like any, any of my social sites or the latest video uh, on the Wood Whisper, the grain is actually pretty substantial, and that wasn't even planned. I thought I was just going to have very uninteresting walnut to to work with here, but the grain patterns and the coloring and all that was was really good. I was actually really happy with the way it turned out, and I was not impressed with the rough boards initially. So I, I would say if you have access to any walnut, unless it's like you know maybe just a step above firewood, in that case I wouldn't wouldn't buy it. Uh, but if you see good stretches of clear material, keep in mind the stuff that's not clear is still very usable. You know, if you, if you do the right thing, you know, start watching some, uh, epoxy resin videos and fill those suckers, <laughs> fill those suckers with epoxy. Um, you could have some very amazing, beautiful, good looking material. Uh, even if you just cut away the clean stuff, use that for one project and then save the stuff that's a little more rustic, uh, save that for something else. It's still going to be pretty good. So I would hands down, if I can get some Walnut, even if it's not great for four bucks a board foot, I'd be loading up my truck with that stuff. That is a really good price. The only caveat I'll say is anytime you have squirrely wood and lots of knots, is it, it's going to move unpredictably. Mm -hmm. Just plan for that. Sure. We like maybe. that. That's what makes I it fun. I say maybe on that one. Huh? Depends how it was dried. It, it does depend. And, and how the tree was growing. And Matt, it. remember when you were out here and I showed you, I went to oh, my local God. lumber place and you just about cried because it was a miserable sight. Uh, we picked up that white <laughs> oak that I think both of us looked at and said this stuff is going to move a lot. Like this is going to be problem material. And it wasn't, it actually was fairly stable. I was able to build, build a gate. Thankfully the, the gate had to be crooked anyway, so it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, but the material did behave and neither one of us thought it would just to look at it, like with the amount of knots and just kind of rough checked looking grain. It just didn't look good. Yeah, it, it had a lot of surface checking. Yeah, exactly. But it turned out okay. And actually having lived outside now for, was that almost a year ago? Probably getting close. Um, and it went all winter, part of summer out there. And that fence is looking as good as it did on day one. So nice. Yeah. Isn't wood wonderful? It can be, it can it's also be terrible. And, you know, all bets are off. <laughs> you just never know. I have to say just one comment on this before we get to my question. I haven't used like graded lumber since I was like a beginner, mm -hmm. like everything I've used for the last eight years has been middle run. So it's just 
as the boards came off the mill. So some boards are clear, some are where some are clearer than others, some have defects. And I think what that's been able to teach me is a lot more uh, part selection skills, being able oh. to look at those boards and pull yeah. out the parts you need for mm-hmm. that project. Because even if there's knots and you want to avoid those, a lot of times, unless you're making like a tabletop, you don't need like an eight foot long clear board. Right. Most of the time you're cutting those things up into smaller boards anyway. So being able to uh, like arrange things on the board to get the look you're going for. And because you have the option to use pieces that are around knots and defects, that's where all the cool stuff happens. So if you want some really cool, I don't know, figure, compression figure, or some know, maybe some crotch figure from a small limo that's coming off, you can get that from those defect full boards. I'll, you won't can see, but I'm air quoting defects because defects is an industry term, not a right. macromonic term. Well, I mean, you buy a piece of furniture at the store, you're not going to see this stuff, you know. But if you find that that really cool knot and you are able to stabilize it and fill it, when you hit that with finish, you're right. All the fun stuff in wood happens around defects. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks absolutely amazing. So yeah, don't, and, don't and be afraid. And this is where the problem happens. The National Hardwood Lumber Association graded when their grading rules came out. Furniture was the number one industry. That's who they were really talking to. Mm-hmm. And these these grading rules, you know, they've changed. They've modified slightly over the years. But the furniture industry is not a big industry anymore. And the people that are buying commercially, they're the ones looking for trim, and they need twelve, fifteen, yeah. twenty-two foot long boards. And they got to be clear because you don't want to run a board with a knot in the middle of it through a six head molder. That's bad. It's <laughs> problems. So, you know, and, and this is this is the real issue we're facing in, in the industry is the, the greater demand for this perfectly clear stuff is having to do with how things are manufactured. You know, you can't, you know, as a as, as a one off woodworker or a one off bespoke boutique, whatever you want to call it, maker, you know, we love working around these defects, embracing these defects and putting them in. But when you're running 5,000 linear feet and you got to get it done in the next 20 minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. you can't have that stuff. So Mm -hmm. the greater demand people spending the most money in the commercial sector are saying, we've got to have this perfectly clear stuff. And that, you know, FAS means nothing anymore. FAS is so below the grade that is required by most customers. It's just silly. But at the same time, who needs your board? Like if you're building a piece of furniture, do you need it to be clear on both faces? That's rare. <laughs> but that's what FAS says. Select yeah. says it's FAS one face and not the other face. FAS requires yeah. both faces to be 83% clear, which is just silly. I can't think of a time when I've really needed, you know, maybe a leg. But even then, it's like, hey, put it in the back. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's always a workaround. Sure. Interesting. All right. Well, good. I'm glad I picked that question. That was a good, uh, that was, that was a good one. Good conversation. All right. Next one is from Michael. It says, I'm quite, wow. See, I still can't read anything. Didn't Why I let did you know read? that reading was a prerequisite to being a host on the show? I think, I think I did cover that. I think you lied a lot about this job. <laughs> you need to <laughs> write it out phonetically for a book. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. I had to write it in crayon <laughs> with backwards R's. Oh man! All right, this is from Michael. It's, I am say I screw up again. Oh, I guess there's no I in there. I am still quite new to hobby woodworking, having started in the fall, uh, 2017. I dread glue ups as no matter how much I scrub with a wet towel or and dry towels, I continue to get glue stains, which I then have to sand out. Do you have any tips to deal with glue glue squeeze out? I use Type On Original and Type On Three depending on how much time I need to get the glue up done. Um, so. There's a couple of things you can do. Uh, if you can pre-finish, that's going to 
I think that's probably my favorite thing to do because you don't have to worry about it nearly as much. The glue doesn't stick to the finish. You can wipe it off. You can flick it off afterwards. doesn't really matter. Uh, if you're doing like an inside corner, putting some masking tape in that inside corner can help just remove that glue and have it not stick to the wood itself. But I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here and say maybe you're using too much glue. Uh, that's it's kind of a hard thing to describe because I think as you get into it more, you kind of get an idea of how much glue you actually need. But I know when I was getting started, it was like, how much glue can I get down here? Like, and just smother everything in glue. It's like putting some insert favorite condiment on sandwich and have it dripping everywhere. Analogy. (laughs) You probably don't need that much glue. And at least now I don't spend nearly as much time cleaning up a glue squeeze out if I'm doing like a joinery glue up because I'm not applying so much glue that I get squeezed out everywhere that I have to worry about. So I think once I kind of got a feel for how much glue I really need, it kind of took care of itself. I didn't spend much time cleaning up glue as much as I used to. I don't know. I think I feel like every single like video and like thing I see, it's like this glue just everywhere dripping all over the floor Why do you need so much glue (laughs) are you not like how much glue do you think actually gets between if you have a like a morrison tenon joint and your fit is you know nice and like it's fairly snug how much glue do you think actually ends up between the two faces of the tenon and the mortise wall well if it's if it's really nicely fit i kind of feel the same way all you really need is almost a trace amount of that just something to prevent it from being backed out and that thing Mm -hmm. is going to be rock solid for a long time yeah all you need is love all you need is love all right well that's cool that's real cool that's cool oh you guys got anything else? oh yeah and the other thing you can do is use uh glues that don't uh, affect finishes like that stuff that chan uses that high glue that weird thing made of animals the high glue stuff. <laughs> the um, you know, the only only other thing I'll say. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't. I honestly wasn't really listening. Um, so you, you may have said something about this, but uh, a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times, if you, he's mentioning using a wet towel and then dry towels. Um, leave it alone. Did you mention that? Like, don't don't go yeah. and spread it all around trying to clean it up initially. Let it set, and this way you're sort of confining any staining that might occur to a smaller area. And then you can, once it's still pliable, but not completely hard, uh, you know, get a putty knife and scoop that stuff out of there. And then you only have a very small amount of area that you might have some glue stain issues with. Yeah. I think or the only if you're Mark, like, use your left. My left what? Clean up the glue squeeze Obviously. Out. You gotta use the good ones. <laughs> you can slice through the glue with junk chisels i have never used a wet paper towel to me that's like all i'm doing is diluting the wood and grinding it further into the surface you know i i just i just let it dry you know if i've got a a glue line as compared to a glue smudge it's at least first of all i can see it and that's like when you come you know before you finish and maybe you wipe things down with naphtha or something just to you know check tear out or any of that stuff and those little things pop out out of nowhere. You're like, oh, where did that glue come from? And sure enough, it's because it, I wiped it instead of just letting it letting it harden up and then come back with a you know card scraper or a chisel or something. My, my favorite one from from that step is the fingerprint. You're like, oh. when did I have glue on my finger and touch this? Yeah, <laughs> but it's there <laughs> somehow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of prepare myself for regardless around the joint. You know, maybe where the um, you know, shoulder of the tenon meets a leg or something like that. I'm going to go back there with a good sharp 
card scraper and a little 220 sandpaper and clean those areas up like regardless because I don't want to take any chances with it. So as long as you're not, you know, like Matt says, as long as you're not gooping the stuff up in there, you should have a minimal <laughs> amount, let it set up, scrape it away while it's still soft so you're not pulling any wood grain with it and then do a little bit of scraping and sanding and it's done. Yeah. What you said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, this email is from Chris. He says, I'm looking to make a roll top secretary with a solid top that I can apply some parquetry to. How would you all go about creating the curved lid? I plan to veneer the entire thing with some hands-on veneer. So I was thinking of trying kerf bending, but that may be really tough. For my primarily hand tool shop would hammer veneering work for applying veneer. Should I look to invest in a vacuum veneering setup? Thanks for not knitting Chris. So, um, I like that, by the way. Play on words. <laughs> Thanks for it's fun. Very good. Um, I'm trying to picture how do you make a roll top with a solid top? Is it just not a roll top anymore? You use Matt's epoxy. Is it? Is it? What do they call that? A fall front at that oh, point? Or turning a mark there? I wasn't listening at all. Yeah. So I don't <laughs> I know. Got to read the question. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's got a, a roll top with a solid top over top of it in case you know he needs that air barrier between whatever it is he's doing in the desk. So yeah. that, whatever. That's how I. That's how I would read that. And yeah, it rolls these actual solid tops. So you could put something on top of the desk, like pictures or whatever, and Maybe. roll the top behind or something. No, I don't know. But um, I, you know, I've I haven't done any kerf bending other than something really really small, mainly just to like, ooh, does this work? And that always kind of scared me. Um, and I think he's right. In a in a primarily hand tool shop, that's just a lot of extra work. If it's gonna go solid, I would be more tended to like do more of a coopered look and cutting your bevels to create, it depends on the, the degree of the curve, right? How, how um, fast that curve is, but just by coopering it, cutting the bevels to create that faceted look and then coming back and, and blending that into a curved shape, you're going to be better off um, than, I mean, you could do some bent lamb, but then you're talking about the same amount of work that it hints for the curve curfing side of things you got to cut all those tiny little strips and glue it together i still think that would be better than curve bending but i guess it just depends upon the shape of your curve it's a if it's a relatively gentle curve which is what i would expect in a roll top desk you could do a lot with with the coopered top um, and then do a little bit of sculpting after the fact um, and if you're sculpting it with a rasp or whatever you're already going to tooth the surface to give you a nice bite for your veneer as far as veneering it, you could hammer veneer it, but honestly, I think this is going to be one of those things where a vacuum bag is just going to be so much easier. Um, hammer veneering essentially is relying upon the vacuum seal that's created. Um, but when you start bending that veneer, it's going to need to be a thin chops on veneer. But once you start bending it, this is what I was talking about at the opening of the show, is the, the stiffer it is, the more the, the veneer wants to kind of do its own thing. Now you're trying to force it into a curve and it's, you, you just, you need, put it this way, hammer veneering doesn't use any clamps. <laughs> you know, you're, you're literally letting it, the, the, the vacuum hold it in place and then you're done. I would be really hesitant to walk away from a veneer piece over a bent substrate without any clamps. Um, so I suppose you could hammer veneer it and then have some sort of call system. You don't necessarily have to go all the way to the vacuum bag, but, um, having, uh, seen a few people recently buy vacuum bags and use them. And I really, really want one now. I'm going to say <laughs> get a vacuum bag cause it looks fun. So go with that. It can be fun. 
someone mentioned that the other day for using it for bent lamination. And I don't know why every time I've done some kind of bent lamination, I just go with like the standard clamp and, you know, positive negative shape thing and squish it together. But like if, if you really utilize a vacuum press for that, you can do some really amazing things and you get like perfect, even pressure across the workpiece. Well, what makes me think a bag over the form is because if we're talking a desktop, it's wide, it's quite wide. So then the form you've got to make is just this behemoth thing, um, you know, that weighs a hundred pounds or whatever. Sure. I'm I'm thinking of, of David Marks, you know, laminated together, three quarter inch MDF Mm -hmm. (laughs) slice after slice after slice to make like a 36 inch wide form. Yeah. Yeah. It's like no fun at all. (laughs) No. The corking and taping of the form itself takes three hours, you know, just so the glue doesn't stick to it. Right. So, I mean, I I do think you're probably going to need some sort of support underneath the table. I don't think you can just stick it in the the vacuum bag, right? You probably want to have something in there to, uh, to hold it steady. Um, and then the pressure comes down on the top, but yeah. Um, if you're going to hammer veneer, be prepared to do some clamping to hold it in place. I think. Yeah. Hammer don't hurt him. Wow. Okay. Oh boy. (laughs) So it's funny. I'm wearing, I'm wearing hammer pants right now. Are you really? Are you doing that little side-to-side dance thing that he used to do? Nice. I want to see that. Uh, Okay, so if you want to help out the show, you can support us in a few different ways. You can go to iTunes and leave us a review there or really any place that has podcast reviews. Uh, Leave us a nice little review. You can go to the Wood Whisperer store at twwstore.com and pick up a Wood Talk t-shirt. I don't know. What else can you do? Patreon? You can go to patreon.com slash woodtalk and support us directly through a recurring donation. And we always appreciate that. Shannon, why don't you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. I'd love to, Mark. Okay. If you have comments, questions, <laughs> topic suggestions, there are many, many ways you can send them to us. You please send us your your voicemail using your voice memo app. Email that to woodtalkonline at gmail.com or use our contact form, woodtalkshow.com slash contact, or just leave a comment on our website at woodtalkshow.com under this particular episode. You can find us on all the social places at Instagram and Twitter and even on Facebook. Um, we promise not to steal your privacy. Facebook will do that for you. Yes. It's built in to the platform. <laughs> yes. Yeah, built in feature. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, I, I think to keep it political and current, you know, that's right. It'll be outdated very soon. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. We will catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye. I miss you already. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>